0: Welcome to the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast, all bow hunting, all the time. Now here's your host, Associate Editor Mark Dempko. So hey everybody, welcome to the Bow Hunting Podcast presented by Lancaster Archery. For all your bow hunting needs, visit LancasterArchery.com. We've got the gear, we've got the knowledge, we've got the passion. Well, we're here uh, at the start of winter. Um, most of the whitetail seasons are winding down, but we're hunting something really and truly unique to North America. Sika deer on the eastern shore of Maryland. Now, if you've never hunted Sika deer or you've never heard about them, it's a whole different ballgame. And I'm here with probably one of the masters of Sika deer hunting, TJ Jenkins. Welcome. How are you?
1: Fine. How are you?
0: Good. Thanks for joining. So, So now you've been hunting... These amazing um, animals were actually part of the elk family for many, many years. How long have you been a guide for Sika Deer?
1: I've had my guide business for right around 30 years, So guiding the, them for a while.
0: Yeah, and so it, this is a beautiful area. You know, a lot of tidal marshes. You're right off the Chesapeake Bay, um, very flat country. But uh, we should probably go all the way back to the beginning now, sea Deer aren't native to North America at all. They're actually from Asia, and there's different um, species and subspecies across Asia, but how did these animals get here in the Eastern Shore of Maryland?
1: These, uh, was, it was in 1916. Supposedly, uh, Clement Henry got them, the story I was told that uh, he got them from a circus. He had them for a little while, and then he uh, released them onto James Island. At the time, it was really just, it was James Point, supposedly, because it was a pretty big chunk of ground. But now it isn't much there. But then from there, they just, you know, came over to the mainland and just took off from there.
0: Mm -hmm. And um, how long has there been a hunting season? It's been going on for decades?
1: Yeah, it's been going on for a while. I think they started a season probably in the 60s, 50s, 60s, somewhere around there for them. I don't know the exact, you know, year that they did for them.
0: Yeah, and you've been doing this since the early 90s.
1: I started this, yeah, like in 92,
0: 93. So I'm just curious, what made you want to be a guide for Zika deer? Like, what was your passion there? the,
1: The first time I hunted them, I thought, you know, there was something very unique about the animal and the challenge of the animal, and I don't know, it was just something there that just drew me to it, and then... Once I hunted them, I, white tails, I didn't didn't really care much for after that.
0: Now, you mentioned white tails. When we first got here, you said, Mark, throw everything you know about hunting white deer out the window. Why, what right. makes these animals so different?
1: Well, one, they're not territorial like a white tail. You know, so they'll travel. And then uh, their habit, they don't, it seems like, Sometimes when they get up, it don't matter if the wind's at their back, it's what whichever way their nose is pointed, that's the way they go. Uh, they live out in the marshes mainly. Uh, it's just a little bit more challenge of an animal, you know, to hunt. The main thing is you can't pattern them, you know, like a whitetail. You know, you might see a stag on this piece of marsh today, you might see him tomorrow the next day or you may never see him again
0: yeah yeah and so there have been some studies done that talk about how far these animals travel right you know a little bit about that because you've worked closely um with some of the biologists and stuff in the area and have a lot of great relationships with them uh talk a little bit about that i think some of these animals that they've collared or tagged have traveled pretty far over the years
1: yeah we had one that uh put a satellite collar on right across the road here and uh he would travel from there about six miles And then hang out and then start working his way back. And he did that kind of regular, and then he would change up sometimes and go different ways. Uh, Some of the does that we ear tagged, we've got pictures of the ones we ear tagged right here behind the camp here. We've got pictures of them four or five miles away. You know, one place, I think it was seven or eight miles away, we had a picture of one, you know, further down in the county. Supposedly they had one spike that we uh, put a telemetry collar on here mm-hmm. and the University of Delaware was doing the study. And they had a guy track it from here all the way to Toddville, which is about maybe 18 more miles southerly. And then from there, it went all the way to Taylor's Island, which is about from where it was on, in Toddville to Taylor's Island, probably around 30 some miles.
0: Now, when you heard that information and saw that data, did that surprise you?
1: Yeah, to travel that far. you know, but then again, I don't know if we've said it, but like I said they're they're like elk. they're in the elk family. Mm-hmm. So in turn, you know, people that's elk hunted know that you can push an elk and keep pushing him and pushing him for miles. And this is the same way, I believe with the sick of deer. if they're not being pressured in one spot. You know, they'll stay around that area. Yeah. But if they're pressured hard and they go from here to the other place then they're pressured from there, they just keep spreading out from that.
0: Yeah. Now, you know, Dorchester County here in the eastern shore, and I'm guessing we're a half hour south of Cambridge, is the historical hotbed for... Sitka deer hunting now also um over outside of Ocean City you have a chance to Ascatee. hunt them too yeah and Island um and they might pick up a straggler or two in an adjoining county but there's really only two places you can target these deer uh, and have some success with them but uh, we should talk a little bit about um the size of these animals you know you can think of a white-tailed deer a mature buck to be 150 200 maybe even larger depending where you're hunting but uh these animals are a little bit smaller aren't they
1: Yeah, your average doe is around 45 pounds, 50 pounds, and your stag is anywhere from like 55, 60 pounds up to 80 pounds. Once you start getting around 90, 100 pounds, that's a big animal. I mean, you know, for the animal size, you know, that's a big animal.
0: Yeah, and as far as as their antlers, it's sort of interesting. Talk a little bit about how the antlers grow. Like a, a six pointer is a huge trophy.
1: Yeah, a six pointer, you know, is mostly what you get as far as a mature, stag and they're a lot like elk you know they fall back they don't come out like a whitetails they fall more back towards (coughs) their rump you know uh and uh they whistle like elk we call it a whistle but it's a similar to a bugle you know like the elk during the rut and the dozel chirp or mew also during that time and they're pretty vocal to a degree, but it's a low key vocal, except for the stags, which is they'll growl, whistle, you know. So.
0: Yeah, I mean, it. we've had a great couple of days hunting here. Um, both uh, Christian Berg and I had shot opportunities, an incredible experience. But I think the thing that struck me is sort of like all of a sudden they're just there. It's like they come out of the, the marsh and the fragmites and, and all of a sudden they're just there. You don't really see them coming. Part of that probably has to do because of the incredibly dense habitat. I mean, when you're in the fragmites, you can see more than five yards probably unless there's right. a game trail. And then also because they're they're not uh, really tall, but uh, um, you know, you have a pretty long season and we, and we should say um, TJ and Muddy Marsh Outfitters um, is strictly a bow hunting operation. So no firearms, no black powder, no no rifles. And uh, I think the biggest plus of that is you're 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 pretty much hunting unpressured animals, right? Pretty
1: much, yeah. During the gun season, we don't hunt this area. We just make sure everything's taken care of and leave it alone. You know, let the people around hunt it and it gives them a place to come and rest. Then also the pressure, we don't put a whole lot of pressure on the farms. You know, we move around to different farms and and that's the main thing—is not putting the pressure on them. Yeah, and, and
0: for everybody that's listening, about how much of an area do you hunt, if you had to guess,
1: I've got probably a little over two thousand acres. You know, with the combined farms, yep. which is
0: which is a pretty big chunk for down here on the eastern shore, and and it's interesting because a lot of spots that you hunt on the farms, you know, you're at a, a really low elevation. You're pretty close to sea level here. What are you, ten feet up here where we're at?
1: Right here where the camp is is nine foot.
0: And so you'll walk out mm-hmm. to the edge of the farm or you'll step into the woods and then literally it drops off into the marshes. Right. So you might have little pockets of, let's call it upland, or you know, pine forest where you're two, three feet up and it stays dry. But these things live in the marsh and they they now Were they always a marsh animal? I think in Japan, you were mentioning that they actually lived in a mountainous area.
1: Yeah. uh, Actually, this subspecies came from uh, Yakushima Island off the coast of Japan. And what I've gathered from reading and talking to different ones on them, they stayed at the tree line, you know, in the mountains. They weren't down in the lowlands, but these here, I guess they had a long way to go where they were released here to get to the mountains. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So yeah. they didn't have much choice, they probably had to adapt or, yeah. you know, that would be it, you know. And uh, like we were talking earlier, though, one thing about with this subspecies, it's known that this is supposedly the only place in the world you can legally hunt this subspecies in the wild.
0: Yeah, and, and and that's the thing. If you're looking for something totally different, a unique outside-the-box experience, you have to try secretary hunting. It, it's just, we've just had an incredible time, and TJ puts you on high-quality animals. In fact, right next to us, you can't see it, but he actually, for a while, was the state record holder for a secret stag, right?
1: Yeah, a lady from uh, New York, right outside New York City, killed it with us. Uh, the one record, she killed it probably... 20 some years ago. And then a guy from Owens Mills, Maryland, here, the mm-hmm. one that's here in the camp, he killed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he held it for probably seven years with that animal.
0: Yeah, it, it's just an incredible experience. Uh, we saw deer every day we we're out. And um, TJ even said that's not always common. These, these are hard animals to hunt. And, and they'll do different types of hunting. And we'll talk about this more in a minute. But one of the common ways is to hunt over bait and uh, sometimes I get the feeling if you didn't hunt over bait you might never see one.
1: Yeah, I mean, that that's kind of an edge but uh, you know, it's not a guaranteed thing. It definitely isn't guaranteed. You know, I mean, y'all have been very fortunate you know, the, the luck y'all have had. You've had some good luck. Uh, I mean, I've had guys come and hunt. They might hunt two, three different times with me and not even see one. Wow. You know, and then had guys like y'all come the first couple sets, you know, and you kill a couple. You know, so it's a lot of luck involved with it. You know, a lot of people think, oh, well, you're hunting over bait, you know, and hunting over feeders. And I had a guy years back, there was a crew that used to come and hunt with me. And the uh, one brother was telling me, I'm trying to get my brother to come and he won't Mm -hmm. do it. You know, he says... He might as well go down to the grocery store and just give the the butcher the money instead of giving it to me as the hunt over bait well he finally talked him into coming and hunting with me and uh i guess it was four years later he come to me and he said what am i doing wrong he said i've not even killed one i said well apparently you have not given the butcher enough money <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it isn't a guaranteed thing. You no. know, it isn't with these because the nature of the animal. You
0: and know? I, I know we've been very fortunate. And um, the other thing is they are a member of the elk family. And everybody who eats deer venison loves it. In fact, a lot of people would say it's actually a little bit better than elk.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So you have a long season down here um, for deer hunting. I think your season starts early mid to September and it goes all the way to January. So let's start at the beginning. Like it's pretty warm down here in Maryland, probably in the eighties and early September. And, um, how do you, how do you, as you're going through the season, like, how do you hunt the early season? I'm sure you have to change your tactics up as we go along.
1: Yeah, it's well, I mean, it's early. It's going to be warm, very warm, you know, and then you've got to deal with mosquitoes and sheep flies and, you know, that nature. But, Thermocells help a lot you know they do a good job on that uh as far as the actual hunting w- with us hunting over f- feeders a lot you know you you just hunt there but there's a lot of people that you know not a lot but a few that don't care to hunt over them so we'll do trails you know find the different trails going to yep. the areas to the feed areas to the fields we might have you know the food plots we have and set up on them also uh they rut in october i mean the rut isn't really like a whitetails rut they still keep their you know their wits about them you know even during the rut but you kind of change up a little bit on all right well you know the the different trails that they might be scurrying the edge of the marshes trying to pick up on does you know coming into the woods and
0: Are the stags generally on the move more than in that rut period, or it just depends?
1: It depends. I mean, you know, like I said, it isn't like a whitetails rut where you can go, you know, and set all day and have action all day. Well, at least that's what I have found. Yeah. You know, Uh, it's still, even during that time, it's still more of an evening, you know, thing.
0: Yeah. Now, one thing I will say is they're probably a lot more vocal in that October time frame, aren't they? I mean, the first time I ever heard one, I was like, wow, that's like the coolest sound. So they're like... Not necessarily the same sounds that regular Rocky Mountain Elves
1: make. No, no. It's a little bit more, well, it's, you know, it's a little bit more higher pitch. Yeah. You know, you still get the, you don't get the real deep whistle, you know, what, as we call it, you know. But it's a little bit higher pitch, but you still get the, the guttural growl and, you mm-hmm. know, things of that nature.
0: Yeah, and you know, I have to say this. You were talking about the mosquitoes. My father-in-law lives on the eastern shore, oh, about, I would say about one hour south from you. I've done a lot of hunting in Canada. People say how bad the black flies and the mosquitoes are in Canada. If you're in areas down here, where especially where they don't spray, I think you can give those Canadian mosquitoes a run for their money. It's yeah, tough to be outdoors in the summer, <laughs> uh, yeah. late spring, early fall. So you got to come prepared. Those thermocells are, are, are going to be a key, you know. And and so obviously, we're here in the winter time, and it ha- we haven't had really cold weather yet. So you haven't had it any freeze or anything in the marshes. But how do you approach hunting then, say, come December and January? You told me it can actually be quite good. That's not what people typically think of when they think of, you know, bow hunting. They think, oh, it gets really, really hard as the season ends. Here you said sometimes it can even be a little better.
1: Yeah, actually, the colder, you know, with, with hunting over feeders or hunting, you know, transition areas to food plots and bedding areas, they're more apt, you know, to be moving to get to the food, especially if the marshes freeze up. Yep. You know, they might, I've seen where they have, especially if there's a snow on or something like that, a small snow, you know, you'll have them hang up for a couple days. They'll lay tight, you know, because they'll eat uh, wax myrtle. So there's plenty, you know, forage around for them, but then they'll they'll get that craving, and then they'll get up and move and they'll move hard, you know, for a couple days and then they'll lay back down. And you know with the marshes it'll get them a lot off the marshes because their their hooves aren't padded like a whitetail's mm-hmm. if you would notice on the ones y'all cook, took, their hooves are concaved and there's actually, it's almost like an ice skate mm-hmm. so it's hard for that animal to walk around on the ice you know so he'll pretty much get off that marsh because of the danger you know what you know getting around and it brings them more consolidates them more up you know, towards a higher ground. Yeah, somebody actually
0: one time told me that if you're here on the right day, when you have a freeze up in the marsh, the hunting can be ridiculous. And, oh yeah. And, and and you basically confirmed that, you know, how good it can can really be. Now, I'm assuming they they spend most of their time in the marshes, what do they do, just get up and lay on little high points and stuff to to bed down, or?
1: You know, it's, I've seen them laying out on musrat houses, like the ones I showed yep, you yep. out there. I've seen them laying on them. I've seen them go into a frag thicket on the edge of a frag thicket and walk it down, almost like a dog would walk down a bed, you know, lay down on it. I've seen them just lay down in the water too. You know, I mean, just their hide is so thick and, you know, parts of their hide so thick, I don't think the cold really affects them as much as, you know, some animals because of the thickness of their hide.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and, um, I think, you know, the other thing we really need to talk about is somebody who's used to bow hunting whitetails or even elk. What are some of the things they need to think about if they're preparing to go seek a deer hunting? I mean, what are the things you recommend? We've talked during the week about mechanicals versus fixed blades. We've talked about practice. We've talked about all types of things. And the first thing that I'll give you an example. The first thing that jumped out at me is... Um, now, I was very fortunate, and, and I'm understanding the more we talk how fortunate I was to get the um, hind or the uh the other day. Um, on video, we watched it, and even though that shot was only 20 yards, that deer was, that deer was rearing back and ready to go as soon as that arrow was let loose. Mm-hmm. So I was amazed. Are they f- more fidgety? Do they just they're, react quicker
1: than whitetails? Yeah, they they'll jump a string a lot quicker. You know, I mean, I've had people video them where they almost laid down on the ground. You know, and the thing is the average shot here is about 18 yards. And that animal, even 15 yards, he'll juke a string. I mean, it's crazy how much, how they can juke, you know, drop on a string to the point where, you know, I preach to people, aim low. If you come up, you know, if you, have one come in, just let it relax, and then come up the leg about three, four inches and hold tight to the crease of the leg. You know, and then if it does juke, you got a better chance of hitting the top of the lung or something like that, and if it doesn't, you'll blow its heart out. You know, and they're real flighty. I mean, they're just, if you noticed on the ones that come in with you. Yes. You know, and they had been there for a little while and they were still flighty as, you know,
0: yeah, that was crazy. I was looking to take um, a mature doe, and she just kept going in and out, in and out. She never stood still, and I was like, "Wow, this is amazing!" And they were probably good, good six, ten minutes before I was able to get a shot. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I was talking to somebody this morning, and they were filming uh, a Sitka deer hunt. A deer had his head in the water. They said they shot the deer. Actually, had a head in the water. The, the man, this is a dead Sitka deer. The thing jumped the string. They never even touched the animal. Uh-huh. So it, it's, it's just, uh, it's like a whole different ball game. But going back to like sort of like, what do you tell bow hunters who are coming down as far as hunting with compounds? Do, do you recommend because they have thicker hide? Do you think they need to pull a heavier draw weight? I mean, do you have any thoughts on, on anything you need to prepare differently?
1: No, I mean, it's good to have, of course, you know, heavier draw weight. And especially a heavier draw weight if you're shooting mechanicals know on them you need that extra to get through the hide and everything else with the animal you know with the thickness of it and their hair i mean their their hair is they've got like a almost like a similar to a beaver they've got like a guard hair and there's like a down hair underneath it you know and you're going through all that also so it's good to have your you know some decent poundage you know shooting them especially with like i said especially using a mechanical
0: Yeah. And and when we arrived, the first thing we did was shoot our bows because, you know, these animals have I'm looking at this record stag next to me. And I bet you from the from the belly to the back that that might be a 14 inch window. And so um, TJ has you look at some of the animals he has up here and look at um, you have something in the the back room there where you actually have a very specific point you try to get everybody to aim at and it's that point and I think you said it's like literally like three inches up and right behind the back leg and we're just yeah. talking about that but but your target is is pretty tight and pretty small on a Sika deer but it, it is an incredible experience it's like you're sitting there and there's nothing going on and all of a sudden you turn your head and look and there's an animal standing there or there's two or three of these things standing there and you have no idea where they came from or how they got there without you seeing them. And, and part of it, again, is that, that dense habitat, but part of it is also the, the, the size of the animal. But all of a sudden, they're right in front of you. It's such a unique experience, and it is, you know, pretty rare opportunity in the United States. Again, the only place you can really hunt free-ranging deer is here on the eastern shore of Maryland, uh, and basically, you have two options, Dorchester here being the, the prime county, and then there's a, uh, another county over by Ocean City, Maryland, where they take some. But uh, um, how many animals do you think they, they take a year? When you're talking about sick of deer in, in the state of Maryland, you have any idea?
1: I think it's around 3,000. So it's not a right ton of animals. No, even. it's not a whole lot of animals. Yeah. And, and they're only in a small portion of the county. They're not county-wide. You know, they're only on a, a small corner you know, of it. So, so, so does the deer habitat peter out pretty
0: quickly once you get away from the marshes? Like if you get a couple miles inland, is it all whitetails?
1: Well, yes. Uh, I, f- as far as this area, it's quite a little bit of, you know, square miles, you know, to the area. But once you get like to the higher ground, okay, it seems like, you know, in the county you run, you start running into more whitetails, but you know, they do overlap, you know, some in areas, and they coincide with each other. They don't care, you know, don't, like, run each other off or anything like that.
0: Yeah, I saw whitetail the first night. Mm-hmm. And you said there's um, more sicca deer here by far, but you said in some of the spots, especially where there's more upland there, you will find some some whitetails. Mm-hmm. Um, now, do you ever have guys that come down here and they shoot a white or almost everybody here for for deer?
1: Most people, when they come, it's like, we want to shoot a sicca deer, you know, and, and I tell them, you know, you, you can kill a... Tell if you want, you know that's up to you. But you were you got a good chance of messing up, you know, for sika for that time also. Yeah, you know, and so that's the
0: other thing I think we should touch on. Like, if you kill a uh, a deer in that area, I I thought I hit the 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 hind. And these animals emit a scent. Like, does it? Do they know? Like, is that does that spot that bait or something go dormant for a while? Does it get?
1: No, they no, they'll pretty much still come in, but it'll. They'll come in later, you know, and then what we'll do is like the one you killed the one on, we'll just back off that. We won't mess with that for a good week. You know, just leave it alone. Let them get coming back in and, you know, feel more comfortable if they ever do feel comfortable, you know, just leave it alone and let it go.
0: Yeah. Now, now you've been at this for a long time and as i said you really truly are the master for anybody that lives in the, this mid-atlantic region you know of muddy marsh outfitters if you've ever been interested in going sick deer hunting you've been doing this three decades uh you're the, the premier guide for sick deer i was just curious like are you at the point now where it's you have a large number of repeat clients is it mostly all repeat clients
1: yeah a lot i've got probably 85 percent is repeat business you know people that keep coming back year after year. It seems like once a person like we had talked earlier, it seems like once a person hunts them one time, like myself, it's like they can't wait to get back to hunt them again. You know what I mean? There's some guys that are just, as you would say, ate up with them. You know, they just can't, they can't get enough of them. They've got, I know a couple guys have got a corner in their, in their game room. That's just a sick a corner. That's what they call it their sick a corner, they've got their mounts, they've got you know skulls of does. I mean hides just but I mean you're taking like we said earlier, taking consideration that you know the animal the challenge that it is, you know, and it's it's. Like I said, y'all were fortunate, (laughs) you know, I mean, y'all were. And I mean, there's guys, like I said, they've hunted for a while. They would give their eye teeth, you know, to kill a nice stag, you know.
0: Yeah, we've had an incredible experience here. And and, and certainly we appreciate it. We know we were fortunate. And I think the other thing we should mention, you know, because we're talking on the podcast here, The other thing that stands out to me, and it seems to be mostly with the stags, they have this incredibly, to me, beautiful chocolate-colored coat. And and so if you look at the hinds or the the does, they look maybe just a little darker than white-tailed deer, Mm -hmm. but the coat on the stags is so pronounced and so beautiful, and and it's just an amazing experience, and it's an an amazing animal. Um, It's just like really no other type of, of hunting you can do here on the East Coast. Um, again, they are in the elk family, but they're Asian elk originally and brought over here and really flourished in the marshes in the Eastern shore of Maryland. And um, now if somebody wants to hunt a uh, deer, they've never done it before, they're a newbie. Technically I was a newbie. Right. What's the first advice you give them? Like, what do you when, when you're talking to somebody who used to go for years and years to the Great American Outdoor Show in Harrisburg? And uh, I don't know how long you did that, maybe 20 years. What do you what do you tell people when they first start to ask you and they express their interest in bow hunting for them? What do you try to stress to them?
1: I just, you know, I tell them what we offer and uh, I tell them, like, you know, the challenge that it is, you know, that it isn't like hunting white tails. And, yeah, we might be hunting over feeders, but it isn't it definitely isn't a guaranteed thing. You know, and they say, well, what my chances are. I said, I can't tell you. You know, it's a lot of luck involved. And you could come down, kill one the first evening, or it might be three years down the road you kill one. You know, it's just a challenging animal to hunt. And, you know, yeah, and and you don't guarantee it. I tell them, I, I tell them, you know, they say, well, do you guarantee anything? I said, yeah, I'll guarantee you they're there. That's it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and yeah. And that's all I can do, you know?
0: Yeah. Now, you obviously talked about some of the myrtles they eat. And, like, what's their main diet of consist of down here? Like, what are they eating? Obviously, you feed them at the feeders. But what else right. are they eating?
1: I mean, they're like, a, they're almost like a goat. You'll see them browsing, cutting, eat, chunking off pieces of frag, you know, young frag. You see them eating or, you know, eating the wax myrtle. And, you know, if there's some of the higher ground has oaks, you'll see them eating that. You'll see them browsing out on the marshes, you know, getting the young shoots underneath the grass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, see them in the fields around here. You know, just like I said, they're they're a lot like a goat. They'll eat just about anything, or they can eat just about anything. And I guess they absorb, you know, the nutrients. What little is in some stuff, they can absorb it. You know, more so than other deer. You know.
0: Yeah. Now they have a fall breeding season. When do they drop their young?
1: I think it's around May, I believe. They, they just done a, uh, or they're in the process of finishing it up. I don't know exactly how far they are on it. They were doing a uh, study on that, you know, to see when they actually dropped the fawns and also the mortality rate. You know, and that was start, they started it last year. I don't know how many years they're carrying it on, you know, but they, that's going to tell us a lot also. Because they rut in October, and I don't know if the gestation period is the same as a whitetails, you know, or a little bit longer. Or, uh-huh. You know, I don't, you know, that part. We really don't. It isn't a big difference in the window, but it's a little bit of a difference, you know. The-
0: yeah, and, you know, we were talking about. You said uh, early in the podcast that sort of like the the six point stag is a mature stag that's what you're looking for now. Obviously, you have a variety of sizes and shapes, but they're all basically mm-hmm. six pointed with eye guards and a split at the top. I was just curious because I don't know, like, what's the progression? Are they like a spike the first year, or four point of the next year? How's it go once they start to develop around? Well,
1: the sick of deer, the fawns that are dropped this year. Yes. They don't reach sexual maturity till they're a year and a half old. Okay. Okay. And then they're usually a spike, you know, but I have found one shed. It was odd. I found the shed. The shed was only about five inches tall and it had three points on it. You know, but that's that's a rarity. It isn't like something you know all the time. And then the following year, he might be a bigger spike, or he might be what we call a braille six point with just bumps on it. You know, and his then his third year, he might be a little bit more advanced, or he might be just a four point. You know, but like I said, with them not reaching sexual maturity till a year and a half old, so it's you know, did isn't like a whitetail where, you know, they start showing a spike the first year.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's fascinating. I mean, I didn't know. And so, you know, the other thing I want to touch on is uh, you were telling me a little about this house. This house is pretty old. I mean, there's there's a rich history here in the eastern shore of Maryland with uh, people from Europe coming to settle. And, you know, how old did you tell me this farmhouse is originally?
1: I was told to me it was around 1690s, 1700s is when it was built. The house and it was uh the family was French. And supposedly when they came here, a lot of the people came from French France, excuse me, from France. They uh when they came here they disassembled the ships and used the ships parts of the ships to build their houses with. You know, and this is supposedly part of this house. Some of it is, you know, part of the ships.
0: Yeah, and it's pretty amazing and there's literally um grave markers and tombstones right outside the house because the yep. family lived here for a long time. And, you know, you know, back then you, you usually had a family burial pond. I guess that's the case with this house as well.
1: Yep. It's yeah. I mean, you can go out there and look at it all of. It. It's a family that was, you know, here. And this what's really great about this place here is that this was supposedly this land was given to the family by the king and is still owned by that family. Oh wow!
0: So the, you meet the king of England, and it's been in the yeah. family's possession
1: the whole time
0: for for centuries now. Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, and that's real. You know, to me, that's always intrigued me. You know about you know that it being in this family for that long. That, you know? that,
0: that's absolutely remarkable. No, yeah. that's that, that's crazy. You you would think at some point it would have changed hands somewhere yeah. along the but way. It's
1: been in this family that whole time.
0: Yeah. Now. And, uh, um, I have one last question, but is there anything you wanted to, to bring up? If you would, let people know what the, your website is, but is there also anything you wanted to bring up about Sitka deer hunting that stands out to you?
1: No, just, you know, one thing we've talked about is, like with this, we just touched a little bit on the sexual, you know, the maturity of the animals. Mm-hmm. You know, and also the doe, she don't reach sexual maturity till she's a year and a half old. That's that's when she's bred, she's a year and a half old and she don't drop her fawn till she's what two two years old, two and a half years old. And she only has one. So all able- the out of all the deer that I've gutted here, that we've gutted here, does killed later in the year, and we always check the fetus. I don't know about other places, but here we've only ever found only one fetus. No, Twins or anything. Wow. You know, so, you know, they're, but they live longer than a whitetail. I mean, they've, they did one tooth They on the refuge. They mm-hmm. had one killed. They had killed on the refuge. They had took it to the refuge and abolished the just there, looked at it, and s- he said her teeth was wore down, so he pulled a tooth, and she was 22 and a half years old. And then we Wow. Find- We've had some here that they had been—they had netted them back in the early 90s. And then when we did the uh, research with University of Delaware, dropped the net on some, and there was one from that time, the first time they did it. And they, she was 18 and a half years old. Jeez. You know, so they— And to think that animal, that should tell you something about that animal. There isn't an inch of ground that isn't hunted in the Dorchester County in this part of the county. Yeah. So you look, that animal has survived 18 and a half to 22 and a half years. You know, that tells you a lot about the animal itself.
0: That's pretty amazing for almost any wild game animal That's that's being hunted. That's just absolutely incredible. I didn't know that at all.
1: But the thing is, it isn't. Like I said, there isn't a piece of ground down here that's not hunted. And there's so many people now coming to wanting to kill a sick deer. And all that pressure that's put on them, they're surviving that long. So that tells you how smart that, you know, that animal is. And I mean, you look at where he lives. You know, you, I was showing you the trails and out on the marsh and the mushrad houses and stuff. That's his home. You know, and he lives out in there. You know, and that's something about the animal. That tells you a lot about it.
0: Yeah, and and I'd say, you know, you hit, you're hit you on the right day and you're in the right spot. Y- you probably hear these animals coming way before you ever see them if they're splashing through the marsh. Well,
1: the thing is, they, they've been branded with the name the marsh ghost. Yeah. You know, and that's why it's where you can be sitting there. I mean, I don't hunt them anymore. Mm-hmm. I used to hunt them religiously. I mean, I loved hunting them. I would sit there in a stand, and, and you could be looking, I mean, like sh- like staring at that table over there, looking, and you blink your eye, and you look, and there's one standing there.
0: That, that's what like, I'm saying. That's what I experienced.
1: Like, what the heck? Where'd it come from? You know, <laughs> and it's just like it appeared. Yeah. You know? It's it's
0: incredible. <laughs> it's 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 literally like you know you're watching there. You see nothing. You see nothing. All of a sudden, there's an animal or two of
1: them standing there. It's, yeah. It's absolutely incredible. No, no. It, even on a steel, even on a quiet. Where you could hear a mouse peeing on cotton, (laughs) you know, you won't hear these animals, and all of a sudden you'll see one there standing within fifteen yards of you, you know.
0: Now, um, I had a couple other questions, like you know, when a cold front rolls through, it's always great for white tail hunting. You mentioned earlier, you know, sometimes if the weather gets bad, they'll just hunker down. Right. Do Do you find like a major change in temperatures will get them up and moving? Is that not the case? No,
1: it don't. Like I said, there's there's always there's never really any rhyme or reason they move i mean there'd be evenings we hunt and think me and joe the the guy that helps me guide we'll be talking with they will we're gonna we're gonna kill some tonight you just have that feeling yeah because of the weather change and not see a deer and then days you think ah this sucks (laughs) you know we kill them you know but uh one thing i have found is if that wind falls out yeah even if, a, even if the weatherman and everything in your phone says, all oh, northwest wind, and you go out and it's still northwest wind, and it falls out, I guess or down here with the, I guess with so much of the water and you've got the bay and you've got, you know, the mm-hmm. different rivers and the ocean, you know, 60, 70 miles that way, I guess you got different thermals and everything that moves and... Them are usually the worst times so if a calm evening is terrible and Calm evening is bad because it you know i mean the uh ozonics help we have noticed a difference you know using ozonics they seem to help you In, know
0: now one thing i have to say thank you for jogging my memory here if you're a hunter like me who doesn't always like getting up super early and i have no problem getting up early but it's nice here, it's sort of like a spring bear hunt. You concentrate your efforts in the evening, and we should probably talk about that. You've been doing this a long time. Why, you used to hunt both morning and evening. Why did you move toward doing the vast majority of your hunting in the evening?
1: Well, started, you know, you pay attention over the years. Mm-hmm. And it's like people come here and they, they expect, well, we're hunting morning and evening, so you do it, you know? And I started talking to the people about it, and it's, you know, you hunt the mornings, and everywhere you go is like walking through an open field. Yeah. You know, and you, and you wouldn't go walking through that open field hunting whitetail or hunting, well, hunting anything. You just wouldn't go, you know, with a flashlight beaming and, you know, because you run that animal out. And then, like we were talking about how they are, you know, whitetail, he'll run aways and make a circle or run aways and stop. I've stood out there on the marsh taking people to the stands and hearing deer run, hearing maybe one or two running, and they take off running. Mm-hmm. And then it's like they might run two, 300 yards, and then you'll hear more starting to run with them. And it's like they all start, you know, running together. So you take, you spook that animal, and he might run. Phew. I mean, I've heard him run for a good minute so you take the distance that animal is running in so then you go and you hunt that stand but the animals that's already ran how long is it going to take that animal to come back to that area or if you blow them off a feeder in the morning how long is it going to take them you know so if you it seems like if you leave them alone let them do their thing in the mornings they're not up and moving around when we go to the feeders because we're usually there. We usually try to get there. Some people, it's kind of hard, but we try to get there around one one thirty in the morning, in the evening, you know. And then they're already bedding, so you don't have to worry too much about blowing them out. And you get situated, get everything settled, and then yeah, you know everything.
0: And, and it makes sense. So for everybody who's listening to the podcast, in the in the majority of the prime sika range down here you have fields and you have very limited forest or hardwoods. It almost like transitions right to Mars. So there, you, you had me on a spot the other night where there obviously were some, some woods and things like that. Yeah. But so it's like really hard. You don't even have any areas where you can sneak in between for transition. It's just a, a, a challenging setup. And so it makes sense. And you, you told me changing your tactics over years, you actually see more animals by not pressuring you them. pressure them in
1: the mornings. Yeah. Cause you know, around here, on your regular year, your woods are wet. Mm-hmm. You know, you've seen it. Water yep. laying everywhere. And that's usually how it is. You can't be quiet walking through water. No.
0: You know, in
1: the mornings especially, you can't. So you've got animals mo- moving around you, and you're trying to be quiet through water, and you just can't. So that animal can hear you from a ways off. You know, and you've given yourself up. Yeah, you know, so... And that's one reason also. Now, in the evenings, you can sneak in. You got your time. You can sneak in there. You don't have to make a whole lot of no light, nothing like that. And he's bedding off wherever he is, you know.
0: Yeah. Now, how can people learn more about hunting with you in Muddy Marsh? What's your website? Any other ways they can contact you?
1: Website is uh, MuddyMarsh.com. And... Uh, My phone number is
0: uh, 410-228-2770. Yeah. And, you know, like we've been talking, this is an incredible experience um, for a very rare game animal, very wily animal, very wary. It's an incredible hunt. Just uh, amazing. You're sitting there. You're sitting there seeing nothing. All of a sudden, there's an animal standing there. And it's like the most remarkable thing. You don't really see them coming. You don't hear them coming. Like I said, you can hear them sloshing through the marsh and things like that. But when they get in those woods, they're incredibly quiet. And it's we've just had such an incredible time. So um, before we wrap up with that last question I mentioned, I want to thank you, Christian and I thank you. It's just been a wonderful experience. The hospitality, um, you know, the history of this area and, of course, the sick of deer hunting. And I know you said we've been fortunate, but to me, it's been a world class experience. So thank you. Now, the last question I have for you, what's the most interesting or unique or memorable sick of deer hunting thing you remember from all your years? Is there something that stands out to you, whether it was just that memorable or either it was a crazy hunt that would never happen again?
1: I don't know. I wish you would have asked me that so I could think about it. Because I tell you what, there's been so many. You know, so many people I've had come here and hunt with me and i've seen the enjoyment they had and it would be hard for me to put my finger on one definite good time because i've met a i've met a lot of interesting people i've met a lot of nice people good hearted people and uh a lot of people i've enjoyed you know having in camp you know and just the camaraderie yep you know of the hunt more than anything you know and it would be hard for me to just single out one you know, because it's just been such a, it's been a great time in my life, you know, that I would never, I've been blessed.
0: Yeah. You know, And we've had a great experience. Well, thank you so much. You're quite welcome. And for anybody who is looking to hunt deer with Muddy Marsh outfitter, check them out online. It's an amazing experience. Also, bow hunting only, hunts all through the fall into the winter. And unlike a lot of different types of hunting, it peaking great in September it can be great during that, that rut period, and it can be really great in the late season when the weather turns cold and the marshes freezes up. So looking for a unique hunt, looking for something totally out of the box, check out Sickadeer Island, uh Cicadier hunting on the Eastern Shore of Maryland, and we'll see you next time on the Bow Hunting Podcast. Thanks for downloading the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting all the time. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bow Hunting magazine on your local
1: newsstand or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com.